In-depth journalism in the Memphis community, The Daily Memphian is of Memphis, not just in Memphis, and seeks to tell the stories of this city. TheDailyMemphian.com. Truth in place. This is the Daily Memphian Politics Podcast. I'm Bill Drees. Our main event is Shelby County Mayor Lee Harris with Linda Moore and Shelby County Commission Budget Committee Chairman Eddie Jones puts a ribbon on the first budget season of Harris and a commission with eight new members. Top of the podcast, no instant runoff voting in the 2019 Memphis elections. That's the effect after unsuccessful efforts by IRV proponents to intervene in the deliberations by state elections coordinator Mark Goins on where the state stands on the use of instant runoff or ranked choice voting. The denial of the motion to intervene means IRV proponents will await Goins' ruling. If it means no state approval of IRV, those organizations then move to Davidson County Chancery Court in search of a court order that they hope would approve IRV for the 2023 Memphis elections. Fireworks over Graceland and Whitehaven on the 4th of July, but no fireworks at City Hall this past week. That as the council approved the expansion of the use of tourism development zone revenue at Graceland for new attractions. Those attractions excluding a 6,200-seat arena and 80,000 square feet of new sound stages that were in past versions of this by Elvis Presley Enterprises. The compromise includes lots of language that effectively says if any of what is called for turns into an arena or something that the Memphis Grizzlies think touches on their non-compete to run FedEx Forum, the council will go to court and the stakes will be possibly losing the $75 million in TDZ revenue that is financing the plan. It also says events in the ballrooms at Guesthouse at Graceland, which gets a 150-room addition in all of this, can only be private or community events. No more Joe Walsh shows there. This is separate from Graceland's pursuit of tax increment financing or TIF money for its pursuit of a manufacturing site in Whitehaven. That goes to EDGE and then the council. The TDZ agreement goes next to the state of Tennessee for approval. A lopsided council vote rejecting plans by Waste Connections to reconfigure its Whitehaven Waste Transfer Yard. The vote was 1-12 to with Councilmember Worth Morgan, the only yes vote. Homeowners in a nearby subdivision were vocal in their opposition, and the council vote reflected that, but several of those no votes on the proposal admitted the better course of action was probably to approve the plan because it would move trucks on the site and parts of the waste process further away from the homes. Yet those same council members said they voted it down because it's what the community wanted, a political conundrum that surfaces on the city council and county commission from time to time. The day after the council session, Memphis Mayor Jim Strickland on the streets to oversee a highly visible start of new street paving efforts across the city. Lots of city hardware on the road, stripping away old asphalt and replacing it with new. Strickland again saying he loves the smell of fresh asphalt. Kind of a battle cry over the last four years for the brilliant at the basics mayor. The new asphalt also comes with lots of orange traffic cones to direct traffic around the city work crews and into a single lane of traffic. 
Just in time for the Memphis mayor's race, the federal court-appointed monitor and the Memphis police surveillance litigation will hold a public hearing on the issue. Former U.S. Attorney Ed Stanton hosts the public meeting July 11th at Mississippi Boulevard Christian Church. Stanton and his team report directly to federal judge John McCullough. The group also has a website with information about the process and legal filings in the case. Who's running for what? Former Memphis Mayor Willie Harrington and Robert Prince Mongo Hodges filing in the race for mayor just ahead of the 4th of July holiday. They joined Tammy Sawyer and Leo Ogawat among the filed in that race, although Ogawat has some signature problems, something that can be resolved this far out from the filing deadline. There are 11 others with petitions still circulating in the race for mayor. Incumbent Super District 8 Position 2 Council incumbent Cheyenne Johnson has filed for a full four-year term in the seat that she was appointed to this past January. Craig Littles and Brian Salisbury have filed to challenge her on the ballot. Nine others have petitions out there. Tony Green-Miles has pulled a qualifying petition in Council District 7, bringing the number of potential candidates there to 10, including incumbent Berlin Boyd. Katrina Smith has filed in that race and has some problems with some of the signatures on her petition at last report. David Vinciarelli files for city court clerk, joining outgoing council member Joe Brown and D. Givens. Ten others have petitions still out and about. Incumbent K. Revilio not among those. District 2 Councilmember Frank Colvette has possible opposition. John Emery pulling a petition this past week to challenge Colvette. Before this, Colvette had been the only incumbent in the city elections who had no opposition. Danielle Jones, one of several contenders who had pulled multiple qualifying petitions, in this case for all three positions in Council Super District 9, Jones deciding this past week to file for position 2, the one currently held by incumbent Ford Canale, who is seeking a full four-year term. The filing deadline for the Memphis races, noon, July 18th. Early voting is September 13th through the 28th, and Election Day in Memphis, is October 3rd. I'm Linda Moore, county government reporter for the Daily Memphian. With me today is Shelby County Commissioner Eddie Jones, this year's budget chairman. Um, last week, the county commission put their shoulders to the wheel to pass a $1.3 billion operating budget for fiscal 2020. Uh, it's a budget that includes uh, many things the mayor's proposal did not, like money for MATA and more money for capital improvements for schools. The commission didn't vote on this budget until 9.30 Monday night. Every year, commissioners say it's a tough budget year, but this year it was true. Commissioner Jones, first, thank you for being here with us. Thank you for having me. We appreciate you coming. Um, You've been on the commission five years. Every year you all say it's hard. Why was it so really, really hard this year? This year, what made... uh, the budget process more difficult was we had some bad forecasting numbers as well as some numbers put into the budget uh, from the previous budget twice that forecast us to have more money if we collected uh, our property taxes and all the other revenues. And even with the trustee doing all her collections, and she collected well, uh, we were still falling short. By how much? I would, well, 
I would say probably uh, in property taxes, here's what I know. It was almost $4 million uh, shortage uh, in collections for property tax because the funds weren't there. So technically, if the trustee is only billing for a certain amount, there's no way to collect it. And if uh, that amount was less than what was forecast, there's no way to get to that because no – who did you bill? You didn't bill anybody to collect that money. So, uh, and that made us short in property taxes based off the tax ordinance that allowed for schools to get mm-hmm. $1.94, $1.94 of the 405 for property taxes, which made them uh, about $4 million short. And so that was one of the reasons why we added two more pennies to education. So the value of a penny is roughly about $2 million. So that would make up for the shortfall for edu- for the education fund. But it didn't increase how much the taxpayer. You just shifted a penny uh, from uh, shifted a penny from the general fund budget to the school system's budget. Absolutely. Education that, funding. Yes, and that was from, uh, we actually moved two pennies that would uh, make sure when we do our collections, uh, they should see if uh, the trend stays the same with collections, they should just about flat out to meet their maintenance of effort. So tell me, this is your first year as budget chairman as well, right? No, second. Second year. So you've got, you've got <laughs> it under your belt. What are you most proud of about this budget? I'm most proud of uh, the commission's uh, strategic plan and the SkyCop cams that we wanted to, for the taxpayers to be able to see sustainability of what their tax dollars were actually doing. And... Uh, where crime is high, uh, and we'll be getting with uh, MPD, the sheriff's department, to find out what is the best place in in our districts to put the sky cop cam. So, each commissioner will have a total of twenty five sky cop cams to distribute throughout their district. So that was a shining that, moment. That was a shining moment the next shining moment uh i would say as it relates to the budget uh addressing the issue of uh, matter but you know that money comes with um well i won't say restrictions but the commission wanted seats on that board so if we're investing all of this money, we want to have some seats on that board. And so that was something good uh, to try and fix our transportation problem. And I just think uh, having a commissioner on that board, uh, I think it brings more resources to the issue. And... <clears throat> We could partner up to do a better job. Uh, you know, we went and mm-hmm. found federal grants that were like 
$42 million. And it was 125 cities that could get it. Matter applied for it, but mm-hmm. the paperwork, uh, for whatever reason, wasn't immaculate enough to be awarded. And so by bringing in uh, both governments, I think we could could put together, work with them, and help them to, to receive some of those, that federal funding that's out there for transportation. Did you all research any of this? Because as I understand it, the city appoints the matter board. Um, no, but that was... Because uh, I know the, it's a condition of the money that... Right, so the city put in some money, county put in some money, uh, maybe that needs to be a joint resolution uh, to make that happen. But uh, we have multiple boards where it is shared by both governments. So uh, I don't foresee that big of a problem, especially if you're going to be accepting county dollars to address uh, the needs of matter. Great. Um one of the other issues, too, that happened in the last couple of meetings, you and Commissioner Edmund Ford, the um, Budget Committee Vice Chairman, had any number of variations of options with uh, cuts and shifts in funding in order to balance the budget. Um, in order to balance the budget. Um, how many of those versions did you have and what did it take to, to do all that work? Cause it was obviously uh, a massive amount of work. Yes. Yeah, so when I say a massive amount of work, uh, I would say that commissioner Ford and myself, we went through that budget book at least five times, uh, pinpointing certain things that was, in the budget to see, all right, can we move this and can we move that? And I would say we had about four variations of how we get there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that would that would include uh, giving the schools uh, $2.2 million for increase. That would also include another two point five from... Uh, for pre-K. Also, there were several other options. So if I could just break it down to you in this way, there was there's a bucket of money that's called pay as you go. Mm-hmm. That was $17 million sitting there. Okay. And that you could use for um, if it wasn't related or county-owned, Mm-hmm. properties we could use that fund those funds uh almost like grant funds mm-hmm. and so that's where some of that got in like the hospitality hub that came from there uh the uh i want to say matter was in there as well as the river park so okay. all of that came out of that fund and so that's that's one we knew how much money was there. And then there were other uh, funds that uh, we were looking at, our investment funds, mm-hmm. and so they 
It's about $6 million there. And throughout the budget book, we saw where they put some here, they put some here, they put some here, they put some there. So the money was spread out all over the place. The good thing about that process is this. The mayor presents a proposed budget to the commission. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the pushbacks that we kept getting was like, well, no, you can't do that. We already put that in the budget. And I had to correct them and say, hold on, we ain't passed that budget. Mm -hmm. So that money is what we want to do with it. So let's be clear about this. So if we give you something, work with that and try to make that work. And so we went through that process. Uh, That worked out uh, pretty – it worked out okay once we – said, nope, your proposed budget has not been approved, and we can move anything in it that we want to. And so there were different versions. We could pull money out of that fund and to make uh, some of this happen, and all we did was replace in that same budget that was Already there, but with another different project. But you just moved money from, you readjusted the the exactly. county spending priorities. Right. And so, uh, well, some of the money they was putting in fund balance. So you just, you creating, you, you putting this money in savings accounts. And so we wouldn't use it. And once we determined that, we said, oh, well, they got plenty of money there. Because you had one account that had over 60-something million dollars in it. And you didn't want us to touch that. But you was taking investment dollars, putting it over there. Uh, And I basically said, oh, well, that's just a holding place. If we pass this budget uh, with it sitting there, they could go back in because we don't have control over line item. And where they was putting it was up under the mayor's administration. So there were a lot of things that uh, were not accounted for. And so when it comes to the use of fund balance, the one thing that they complained about that we were doing, and we're going to be fine. That's what I was going to ask you. You mentioned fund balance. There were some significant concerns at the meeting from the county's uh, finance um, uh, the chief financial officer concerning the use of the savings account and what are considered best practices and what percentage of the budget should be sort of like they tell you in a household budget, how much should go into your savings and how much you should spend on rent, that sort of thing. So how are you going to go forward with that? Oh, no, I, we're fine. Um, it's, it's accounting principles. Um, for me, I'm, I'm pretty simple. Now, I got X number of dollars in the bank. Mm-hmm. I can't go out and write checks for what I don't have. And so if it is showing X number of dollars in the bank, and if that meets what was adopted and approved, see, they had more money. It was about $23 million that I questioned them about. And I'm like, well, where is that money? So you think there was more money in play than the administration yes. actually and, owned up to? Yes, more money in play because uh, we collected, and all total receipts was, it's probably going to be even a little higher. It's probably going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of $25 million. 
So we collected 1.280 uh, billion mm-hmm. for FY19 budget. The adopted budget was 1.2 So if I, if we have collected more money to cover the adopted budget, where are we short? I still haven't got that answer yet. <laughs> they say that money goes into fund balance. <laughs> exactly, which that's why I'm saying I know we're okay. And so and until we get some other reports uh, from the administration, they have to give us a uh, – there's a, something that the trustee does and that they have to certify and, and present to us. That should show – where all of the fund balances are, the restricted, the unrestricted, and let us know sort of where we're at based off of total collections. Now, here's something that's interesting. You've been on the commission five years, and so during that time there have been some adjustments downward for the county property tax rate. I understand in the last time it went from – Four eleven to four dollars and five cents. Um, you all could have avoided a lot of this drama by readjusting the property tax rate in order to four dollars and five cents in order to offset the expenses. Why didn't you all? Was that even considered, or why didn't you all want to adjust the readjust the property tax rate? That was talked about. I don't think that the votes were there to make that happen. Uh, some of our colleagues don't care how bad it gets. They're just not going to vote for a tax increase. Uh, for me, it's basically kicking the can down the road unless you can generate uh, new revenue sources to fill that gap. Uh, and I do believe that there's going to be a big fill in that gap when Kojic comes back. Your hotel, motel, and sales tax are going to go up through the roof. What does that mean to us uh, in collections? I think we would be right where we need to be. Uh, as more properties come back on to the tax roll, uh, we're going to have to do more in economic development. Uh, that will generate more revenue. So this could be, in my mind, a sort of a budget-neutral mm-hmm. year to where we got enough to get done what we need to do. Uh, if the revenue doesn't come in in that way, I think there will be less opportunities to increase the budget more than where it is now. So you're hoping that there will be other avenues that bring in bigger money as opposed to simply um, just raising the property tax rate a few cents to bring in a few million dollars more when there yeah. are ways to bring in a significant, a, right. a significant amount of money more. Yes, and, and that's going to happen uh, when the Kojic returns. That will happen. Uh and so we don't know what that revenue will look like. But if we, if you look at the hotel, motel, mm-hmm. and the uh, 
sales tax, it's going to be up there. So hopefully that the county share of that would be quite a bit that will shorten that gap uh, for us. Uh, and I think we'll be okay. So we just got to get more properties back on the tax roll. Well, the other another thing came up during the meeting. This year you all did not increase the uh increase funding to education in terms of funding that would be maintenance of effort, funding that would go on uh, year after year. And you all got a lot of heat from that, uh, from um, folks in the community, including uh, a school board member, Stephanie Love. Um, How do you, they accuse you all of actually neglecting the neediest children, the neediest African-American children. How do you explain to the public what's happening without making it sound as though you're making excuses for not, uh, as they say, supporting education? I think uh, all of those were talking points uh, to drive at the commissioners. To me, that's all they are, talking points. The fact of the matter is what we've done for students, educate. When I got here, uh, their maintenance of effort was like 300 and some thousand. Since I've been here, each year they've gotten an increase, totaling in the amount of $66 million. Mm-hmm. So to put that tag on the commissioners that we don't care or we just trying not to find ways or making excuses uh, not to finding ways of taxing uh, people to educate our, our children. And so I get it. They're talking points. Uh, and so to answer, you know, their questions, I, for me, I'd simply say, can you just look at what we've done? what we've sacrificed in our budget when 62% of our budget goes to schools. Uh, there was, uh, you got $11 million, $12 million more in CIP that wasn't in the mayor's proposal. Mm-hmm. You still got a one-time expenditure of $2.2 that wasn't in the mayor's proposal. So to say we're doing the best that we can, working with what we have, and not to uh, cause for a panic of a tax increase. And the reason that that maintenance of effort was not driven is because we don't know what the next year's budget will look like. So to err on the side of caution, we left it where it is, gave them something, and not to put the commissions even in a worse position than they were in this year for the next budget season. So I think we did – I know we did the right thing as it relates to that. And so our goal was to – well, me and my vice chair, our goal was to increase the capital spend. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, but 
there's a lot that goes on that happens. And here's what I think that we can do if we could ever fix this, this problem. And we don't have to get with bond council. So the way the schools get their capital dollars, they have to spend out of their fund balance mm-hmm. every year. And then bring the receipts to the county to be reimbursed. What could happen if they didn't have to restrict those funds for their capital projects? And they're restricting them in a way that a lot of the projects don't get completed in a year. Mm-hmm. So, but that money is restricted because they got to anticipate that it will. What could happen if we, the county, could just give them theirs and require them to come in, give us quarterly reports. They don't have to restrict those funds in their fund balance, and now they got more funds available that's already so sitting So they could there. spend as they saw yes. fit as and opposed to, to the, the back and forth between you. Absolutely. So I'm working on that. Mm-hmm. The other thing you've mentioned is the possibility of using uh, wheel tax uh, revenues as a way, a more reliable way to fund the school school education, the county's education ongoing. Do you want to talk more about that, or can you? Well, I can, and I can, and I can. So right now they're working the numbers up to see what that would look like. And then that's something that has to come before the commission as a discussion to see if they want to do that. It doesn't. In, it does not increase property taxes. Would it increase the wheel tax? Yes, but that is a separate tax. And so, I've given them about four scenarios uh, what to look at. See the way that money is collected and moved into the education fund out of the wheel tax. You have people with motorcycles, boats, and trailers and stuff, so they pay a certain. Uh, motor vehicles on the road, they pay a certain. You have uh, specialty vehicles, they pay a certain fee for that, as well as commercial vehicles. Mm-hmm. So those four different elements, Look, just looking at throwing numbers in to see, well, what if we increase this one by five, this one by two, this— so they have several, and just trying to see how much would that generate. And so if you can get anywhere between 6 to $7 million, that would be a, a, a perfect uh, segue for the school when they come and they have ask, and that goes above mm-hmm. uh, their maintenance of effort, then – that remaining money sits over there in the education trust fund that you could go back to, and it doesn't. Uh, you, you're not using money from the county's fund balance to do it because you've already collected that money specifically for schools. So would it? I mean, so you haven't figured out which vehicles would see the increases and which wouldn't. I mean, it could. It could be something. I, I told them just give me a, a general mm-hmm. across the board. Everybody saying and or different so they got about four different scenarios out of those four uh, variables that we have to collect uh, for 
uh, motor vehicles. Because this is a poor city, and there would do you expect some pushback from people who would say, "You, this is a poor city. People have to drive to work because Mata doesn't always take people where they need to go." And then you want to increase a tax on uh, some of those poor people driving, you know, who are trying to get to and from work. I, I don't. I don't. I I get that, mm-hmm. but every vehicle got to be registered anyway, and those fees come out of the registration of those vehicles. Uh, now, let's just think about it. When the last time there has been an increase in that? I remember when it was under a hundred dollars. So you've had some increases in in that, but that I don't think those dollars were reflected over into uh, county government. Those were state added on fees. The uh-huh. money went to the state. We hadn't done anything here locally. So uh, we can't control the state, but we certainly can't control what we do here. And all vehicles have to be registered anyway. So if somebody got to pay 2 or $3 more and that helps to fund education, I, I, don't, I think the, a majority of the citizens would not uh disagree with that. We did a survey when we put this budget out. Uh, almost 700 people responded. The number one concern that citizens had was fund education. So if this is a, a way to do that without causing a heavy burden on anybody, then why not do that? That may be the way. <laughs> Thank you so much. I appreciate you talking with me. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Thank you. With me today is Shelby County Mayor Lee Harris, who's just completed the first budget of his four-year term. Uh, Mayor Harris, last week the county commission passed the $1.3 billion budget without a property tax increase. Every year county officials say this is a tough budget year, um, but this year there was a shortfall in property tax revenue, um, and they said it made it even more difficult. Uh, what was your thinking as you established priorities for the um, for your budget proposal? I think it was a tough budget year. Um, and by the way, thanks for having me. I think the priority uh, for me at the outset um, on the county side, and this is my first time on the county side, although I do have local government experience, having spent three years in the Memphis City Council and then four years in the state senate, my priority, having been through budget process at the state and local level for many years, was that we would spend no more than what had come in. And as you put it, we had a tough budgetary year, which would limit our ability to, to you know, fund every initiative under, under the sun. Uh, so, yeah, that was my just my thinking coming in is that we would just spend what <laughs> spend what came in and nothing more than that, <clears throat> that we would live within our means. And I um, that's what I anticipated. I mean, we did. At the end of the day, the county commission did decide that uh, there are a lot of these initiatives that were really um, uh, couldn't move the needle on some of their priorities. And so as a result of that, they did dip a little bit into the into the uh, reserve fund, which is our savings account. And so we did end up spending more than we took in this budget cycle. So I was probably unprepared for that. But, you know, live and learn. And uh, so I'll be prepared the next budget cycle that, um, you know, maybe the county commission is inclined to spend more than what we receive. But, you know, that's probably a lesson learned. That's something I didn't anticipate. And that's a little bit different from my perspective or how I came into the budget process. 
You mentioned that the commission has gone into uh, fund balance um, or the county savings. You all are charged with now executing this budget. How will 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 how will that impact how you all execute the budget uh, in terms of monitoring spending? What do y'all have to do? So I think this will be a tough year operationally. We'll have to try as best we can to identify efficiencies uh, so that we can um, generate some savings to offset the range of initiatives that have been funded through this budget process. And we will see if we can do that. Um, There's no doubt about it that... um, this probably, you know, creates some long-term negative implications. I'm not quite sure if, if that'll happen immediately, but, you know, if we continue along this path for one, two, or three years, there'll be long-term negative implications. Um, we, we will probably be out of office by the time those negative implications come home to roost, but, you know, that's also something to be watchful of. So this budgetary year, operationally, our goal is to try to generate as much efficiencies as possible so that we can have some cost, some cost savings that can be used to fund some of the various initiatives that came in through the budget process, and so that hopefully we will not end up using the $6.3 million in fund balance that is currently anticipated. Uh, long-term, as I said, there's some long-term headwinds probably in terms of what our financial outlook looks like and whether or not our credit, credit rating is preserved. Of course, we come into office with a pretty pristine credit rating, um, but, you know, it, I think it's I think it's not overstating to say that one, two, or three budget years like this and our credit rating will be downgraded. I think that's, uh, or at least, you know, I, you can never tell, you can never guess, but I'd say it's probably better than 50-50 chance that our credit re- rating will be downgraded if we, you know, do this a number of times. And so in that sense, over the long term, that means we'll end up paying more interest on our uh, mm-hmm. on our debt. And if we pay more interest on our debt, I think that has long-term implications because it, it, it affects the next group of people coming in because they'll have fewer general fund resources to dedicate to, you know, operations and more general fund resources instead of going to operations and schools will have to go to our interest payments on debt at the higher uh, interest rate level. Is there a way to look at trying to increase revenues? Some other way? I, you know, local government, you, you start off by saying budgets are tight every year. And in my experience, that's the way it is. I mean, local government, there's not a whole lot of ways to generate revenues. The kind of funding sources, creative funding sources that people can think of are usually foreclosed by state law. And the usual funding sources, right, we rely principally on the property tax. The vast majority of our revenue is hinged to the property tax. We can't really grow our property tax revenue unless our community grows. And as you may know, uh, our community is not growing fast enough. So it's not, you know, we, we have a we have a while before we turn that corner and we're, uh, you know, growing like gangbusters like you see in Austin or in Nashville or Charlotte and other places. I think we'll get there. I do think uh, Memphis has momentum to use a term that's often tossed around, but we haven't quite gotten where we need to go in terms of growing our population, which in turn would grow our property tax revenue. The other thing to keep in mind is is that when there are new commercial de- commercial property developments, they don't really generate any property tax revenue of any note. Uh, and so that's the reality, and they don't generate any property tax revenue of any note because of the property taxes are cut. And so if the property taxes are cut through a tax abatement and so forth, mm-hmm. there's not much extra revenue in t- for local government to rely on. The same thing is true around other incentive programs like the TIF programs, et cetera. It just means that even though there's a new commercial property development, even to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars, mm-hmm. there's unlikely to be any significant um um, general fund dollars for the county to use to fund operations. Those those dollars are usually redirected elsewhere in terms of a TIF or they're abated in terms of a tax cut. So, you know, we don't usually see any property tax revenue growth from those things, at least not to a significant extent. 
And so uh, that's why budgets are always constrained, and that's why the outlook on new property tax revenue is pretty limited. You mentioned the the, um, um, commercial development. Is that something you all could address in terms of revisiting uh, how those um, tax abatements are granted? Uh I mean, I think if the political will is there, you can do almost anything. The question is whether or not the political will is there to take a real deep dive uh, into some of those programs and to make sure that the public interest is weighed in the balance. Uh, So do I foresee that happening in the near future? Probably not. I think that um, I think that that horse has kind of left the gate, as it were, uh, in a lot of different ways. Uh, but you never know. The political will might be there. I'm, I'm, all, I'm all for having that conversation. You know, when I started at Shelby County Mayor, mm-hmm. I tried to open up that conversation. I got shut down pretty fast. Uh, I tried to open up that conversation with respect to Union Row, which is mm-hmm. you know hundreds of millions of dollars, one of the largest commercial developments we'll see in our tenure here on the county side. And I said, well, let's let's open up this discussion. Let's make sure that we perform an analysis to make sure that that commercial property development is really in keeping with the public interest. And, um, you know, I, I, I couldn't quite persuade everybody to kind of slow down and let's do, do a real a real proper analysis. So it is tough. But, yeah, if the political will is there, you can revisit some of that abatement stuff. But uh, in my experience, I've been around for eight years not a lot of folks want to uh, do that kind of analysis, and, the, and 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 in some ways they they got good reason, right? Because that because when these commercial developments come down the pike, a lot of people scream jobs, and the mm-hmm. word jobs polls very well, yes. right? It's the top polling word. <laughs> if there's a word that polls well, it's the word jobs, and so no one wants to be seen probably as putting that in jeopardy. Uh, and so people come to different conclusions, but, you know, in my view, we should analyze those programs uh, a little bit more and make sure the public in- the public interest uh, is there. Uh, and we haven't gotten there, th- there yet. And, uh, you know, I-, I don't know if we'll get there soon. One of the aspects of the budget that you campaigned on was money from MATA. You didn't, it wasn't included in your uh, final budget proposal, but the commission was able to, um, carve out $2.5 million with the condition that uh, a county commissioner be allowed to sit on the board as a voting member. Have you all researched any wh- how that would come about? Uh, no, nothing. No work has been done on, on the commission initiative. Uh, so you're right. I campaigned on remediating poverty. That's mm-hmm. my number one objective. And I campaigned on education on a whole bunch of different scores. The number one education objective. You look at my campaign material was pre-K. And I also thought it was a good idea if the county got involved in MATA. And I continue to do that, think that. And uh, I've always and I promised to bring a plan to the county commission about how to do that in the fall. So the county commission has put away some money to mm-hmm. help fund some of that. And so that money what came to, came in at about two and a half million dollars in this budget cycle. And so we already have two and a half million dollars thanks to the county commission's work um, for MATA in this budget. And so, you know, that'll be part of the discussion when we have that discussion in the fall. Okay. Um, one of the other aspects of the budget is that University of Memphis has given a million dollars uh, toward a swim facility. And, and there, there are some community groups now wanting you to, I, I guess, veto the budget uh, because they don't want University of Memphis to get that money without uh, paying all of their employees $15 an hour. Where are you on considering what to do about 
the that allocation. So that's right. So the University of Memphis apparently is building a $10 million uh, pool, and it's going to be of Olympic depth. And so that's very important if you were trying to train people to dive or having diving practice. Uh, it's also important, apparently, based on the town halls that we've been in, for you to have water polo uh, practices and water polo teams. You've got to have a pool of a certain depth. And so they have come to the county commission to fund so far, and, you know, this is these things change, but so far they've come to the county commission for funding um, at about the $2 million level on this $10 million project. And um, we have received some pressure from some of the community groups, the Mid-South Peace and Justice Group, uh, Campus Workers of America, MICA, which mm-hmm. is an interdenominational uh, faith-based group, faith and action-based group uh, new here in Memphis, to say, let's hold off on continuing to fund and invest in the University of Memphis until they pay their employees $15 an hour. So the University of Memphis, of course, just a background, is probably a $400 million operational uh, organization. So it's got a huge uh, budget, and there are about 300, 300 or so employees that make $11.11 an hour. That's about $23,000 a year. So in essence, those employees have second jobs to get themselves out of poverty, or they work and live in poverty. And I think that there is this community expectation, uh, this community norm around Living uh, and working, uh, work and working, and that that work should have some dignity, uh, and those people that perform that work should have um, dignity and should be respected. And so, to see those folks working full time, these are full time employees at the University of Memphis, making twenty three thousand dollars a year. When there's a community norm around fifteen dollars an hour, which is about thirty one thousand dollars a year, um, these groups are saying, "Let's try to take some action." And I don't know if they are trying to be quite as confrontational as people have put it out there. I think they've just said, look, we've been fighting this fight with the University of Memphis for almost 10 years, almost 10 years um, to get these folks out of poverty, full-time employees, and there is still, it seems, no plan to pay them a living wage. And so what these community groups are saying, as far as I can tell, is Let's see if we can use this as an opportunity to get them to come up with a plan, any plan, regardless of the time frame, to pay these folks $15 an hour because this has been going on for far too long. And and I know people are saying, well, you know, this, this is not even related. And I love the U of M. I do, too. I worked there for 14 years as a full-time faculty member. But these issues are related because, you know, I've got to sign a budget that reflects what I think is in the public interest, and what is consistent with my conscience. And at the same time, the folks that clean uh, the classrooms and this pool, should it be built, are people who are going to make $11.11 an hour. And so why should the people uh, uh, who clean the pool um, be disregarded and put to the side uh, as we weigh these kinds of investments um, at the University of Memphis? So so it's it's a tough call, um, and I'm I'm hearing from people and talking to people, and I want to hear the University of Memphis out, and I want to hear other uh, the voices of, of fo- other folks who are informed. But you know, at the end of the day, I, I try to got to live with myself, mm-hmm. uh, and I you know ran for office on a very specific platform. You talked about MATA, but the most prominent thing on my campaign website was around remediating poverty. That's what I talked about most often. That was what was at the top of my list. 
And here we have folks uh, who work full time every single day, 300 of them, uh, and they've been fighting this fight for a very long time. And I come to this place from you know history of of being in these this this fight, um, even when it wasn't politically beneficial to me. And this is no different. Uh, when I you know was on the city council and I camped out in front of the Kellogg's um, organization, the mm-hmm. Kellogg's business, because they were treating their workers unfairly. And even then, everybody you know they I, I received a lot of hostility. As a result of that, and I'm sure, you know, this is certainly not to my benefit to try to take on such an important organization in town. But, you know, I did not run for office so that I could (laughs) so that I could, you know, pull my punches Mm -hmm. uh, or not speak my mind and not defend those who are vulnerable. And I believe that folks who are living in poverty really need an advocate. And so that's why uh, I think that these groups have written to me. And that's why that's under consideration. But, you know, time will tell. I, I'm, I, you know, I, I just wish we could have a path forward. I wish they would come up with a plan uh, to pay these folks $15 an hour, whatever that plan is. And we could all agree that that is a reasonable path forward and try to get this thing done. Um, but, you know, I'm not sure. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Sure. Well, now that the budget's behind you, what's next? What are the next big big initiatives? So the next big initiatives, uh, toward the end of the summer, we're um, going to start working on our plan with respect to investment in public transit. We've hired the um, uh, Innovate Memphis, which is kind of the preeminent organization with respect to public transit, to help us navigate this new terrain as a county. And so Innovate Memphis is one of the leading architects of the Transit Vision Plan. Uh, and that's the plan that everybody keeps talking about, about how we have a fully functioning public transit organization. And so we've hired them to collect feedback from commissioners from uh, around their ideas and other stakeholder groups. And then they're going to help me to come up with a plan to put in front of county commissioners. So that's what I'll be working on this summer and into the fall. Um, and, um, you know, we, we'll see what commissioners think about it, because you've got to have a community discussion uh, around this issue. And not everybody is going to agree. I'm going to present a plan that reflects my values mm-hmm. and my judgment, but it is no, it is by no means the only way to do it. And it deserves a public debate because I can tell you right now, my plan will include things like investing in frequency. It'll include things mm-hmm. like investing in the urban core. And there is room for reasonable people to disagree. So for example, we've got to have space enough to have a discussion where people in the suburbs can say, no, I think we should have a bus that goes out to the suburbs and comes downtown, right? Those are the kinds of conversations we need to have in the fall. Uh, and so that's what we're setting up to do is to um, make a make a plan or collect feedback, make a plan, present to the commission, and then have, have a real fulsome discussion around how best the county should invest in public transit, if at all. And that's, the, that's what's going to occupy you for the next few months. That's exactly right. Yes. All right. That's it. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you. City Housing and Community Development Director Paul Young this week on Behind the Headlines on WKNO Channel 10 to talk about fairgrounds redevelopment, the Crosstown Mound, and gentrification. Subscribe to The Daily Memphian at dailymemphian.com. You can subscribe to this podcast at Google Play, iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. You can find us on Twitter at Daily Memphian at DM. I'm Bill Drees. The Daily Memphian Politics Podcast is produced by Natalie Van Gundy and comes to you on the OAM Network. In-depth journalism in the Memphis community. 
The Daily Memphian is of Memphis, not just in Memphis, and seeks to tell the stories of this city. TheDailyMemphian.com. Truth in place.